Welcome to Here Come the Sequels, a full spoiler podcast where we take a look at popular film franchises one movie at a time. I'm Tyler. And I'm... I, I believe the, the term is cougar. <laughs> this only works if you've watched the movie. <laughs> I mean, I'm Alex. Um, it also works if you've heard Alex's numerous diatribes about how age is just a number. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I'm Britain. <laughs> I do think it's very amusing to imagine Alex, like, hanging out at, I don't know, tennis court. Where do cougars hang out? Tennis courts? Let's say tennis courts. <laughs> well, apparently, sure. based on this movie, they, they work at high-rolling casinos. Well, that's true, yeah. Very true. And what is this movie? Movie is Shrek three. Uh, no, we <laughs> Shrek, hold on, hold on, hold on. Shrek, Shrek me Shrek the third. No, no, no. Shrek we, the third. No, no, no. Come you, on. you think you think that you're correcting me? We are talking about the uh, underrated film Shrek three. Um. <laughs> so let me get this straight. You're a woman who's past her prime, but that makes you in her prime, and your libido is so sky high you need a younger man to satisfy you. <laughs> don't care do you right, uh, have such a thing i vote we burn this podcast Let's start over um <laughs> we are talking about oceans 13 revengeance <laughs> actually that's a very fitful title oh, yeah a little bit uh yes say, say things alex sure uh oceans 13 directed by steven soderbergh uh the last of his contributions to this franchise um, from 2007, it has a 69% critic score on Rotten Tomatoes and a 75% audience score. So, in the middle between hmm. the first and second films. I liked it quite a bit. Yeah. And also, this is another situation where I might read through some of the negative reviews on Rotten Tomatoes <laughs> because I think they're funny. <laughs> Well, as someone who likes it so much, do you want to go first with best and worst? Sure. Good, because I don't have mine yet. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go. I'll go first. Um, I think my my favorite thing about the movie is how it, it ties the previous two together, and this actually ends up being like it feels like a, an actual end to the trilogy mm. in a way, in, in a way that's actually kind of compelling and fun and. I feel like all the, the cameos and the little references to the previous movies and, and people that come back, like, it's all, it all feels earned, in a way. Um, I guess it's just because, you know, so much of the time when, when that stuff happens, it's it's just a natural part of the plot. Um, like, they, they run into a problem. Oh, they need to go back to Andy Garcia. Um, and they, they, it just creates all these, these sorts of really fun moments because... You know, when they, they figure out they have to go back to Andy Garcia, it doesn't Brad Pitt, he's like, really hoping we wouldn't have to do that this time. <laughs> and then, of course, the Night Fox comes back. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I wasn't a fan of the Night Fox in the last one, but I think the way that uh, Vincent Cassell is handled in this one is pretty great. Um, and then Eddie Izzard comes back. I, I like there, There's just all sorts of, of, of really, really fun cameos. And, and like I said, just kind of pulling everything full circle and and it's not not even really in a thematic way or it's like a, a fully emotionally resonant way of like 
you know, portals from, from <laughs> Endgame. Like, it doesn't do anything like that. I, that's not what I mean. But but I don't know. It just it feels like everything's just kind of coming back and connecting. Um, but it doesn't feel overblown about it, which I appreciated. Um, so, yeah, that's probably my, my best thing about it. Um, my worst thing is just going to be the treatment of the, the, the cougar character, uh, Mrs. Sponder. Um, and... I don't feel like I'm normally the one that points out, like, th- these types of problems unless it's, like, old James Bond movies. Sure. Um, just because it's funny to make fun of it for that. But in a movie where they specifically do not bring back Julia Roberts and uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones, which I found kind of annoying and a little frustrating. I mean, I, I, I guess it's kind of funny that George Clooney keeps saying it's not, it's not their fight, I guess. Um, I don't know. It just... That felt like a, a weak moment in the movie, and to have our other, our only other key female character, uh, being fed hormones to make her, yeah, uh, <laughs> want to have sex with Matt Damon, uh, kind of problematic. Uh, I guess they do have the the uh, is she like the attendant at the casino? Yeah, the, like, the hotel. Yeah, lady. and she's um she's kind of helping them out with the plan, but I don't know. It's I don't, still. I don't it's even not know great. if they tell us her name. Yeah, <laughs> the concierge yeah. lady's name. I will say, and that was going to be my worst thing for most of the movie because I was thinking that at the end it, it does end with Matt Damon seducing her. Um, but I will say, at least the movie has the the grace not to actually go there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just he he manipulates her to get it, to take her or take him up to the room with the diamonds, and then. Uh, FBI agent, quote unquote, shows up, or gaming commission agent shows up, and he's like, "Oh, don't you know? You don't need to feel bad. We're not going to get you in trouble for this." Um, he's a a powerful con man who's great at influencing people and and tricking them into like he. <clears throat> the way they handled that, the end of that, made me be like, "Okay, I'm not, I'm not that upset." It, it is yeah. still upsetting that there's no strong women characters at all in this film. Um, I think. Who directs Ocean's Eight actually? Because you mentioned that Steven Soderbergh doesn't. Gary Ross, right? Okay, that sounds right. Hmm. Should have gotten Chloe Zhao. Um, <laughs> the no, I I always do Ocean's Nine. There you go. I am curious to see if that kind of corrects a lot of these wrongs. I, I remember not having any problems with it in that regard, uh, watching it at the theater. But that was when did that movie come out? Twenty eighteen. It was a while ago. So anyway, um, yeah, it is. It is still kind of like, come on, why why'd you do this? But also, it could have been a lot worse. I feel like there, there's still a little bit of heart there, and in, in the fact that they kind of absolve her and make her be like, no, don't. We don't need to make you feel like an idiot and like feel bad and everything. So. Yeah, the, like they don't. He he's not actually trying to get with her, right? But it still feels kind of. Yeah, you guys, you guys said it all. I agree. <laughs> Tyler, what are yours? Um, I think my best thing is the premise for the actual heist, mm. uh, because in the first one we have them robbing a casino uh, that supplies money to three different casinos. And they're robbing the actual vault where all the money is. So it's very traditional. It's just like they have to they have to sneak around the casino and they have to get in there and they have to get the money. Um, 
this I think is really fascinating where they are they are trying to orchestrate a scenario where a bunch of people win a bunch of money and then walk out so that there's not really a way to pin it on anybody and the casino loses a ton of money. Um, and also, of course, they're sabotaging the reputation of the casino and all that. Like that, I think that's a really fascinating premise of like, instead of just being, we're doing a vault heist and the yeah. casino happens to be the backdrop. Now it's, we are figuring out what the best way to actually rob this casino is. Um, and I think that's really neat. I think that that opens up a lot of different trappings and, and fun ideas that they throw in here. Um, and of course, it it is fun because it gives a good reason for Terry Benedict to come back and and be mm-hmm. like the guy supplying them or uh, investing in them to help them keep it going. Uh, I think it's really cool, and we'll talk about a lot of the stuff they do with that. Uh, this, like the first one, I don't I don't know if I have much of a worse thing. And part of that is because the first one I think is just very tight. This one it has more like silliness going on. It, it it retains some of that from the second one while also revisiting the actual like plot of the first one, being like, hey, we, maybe we should come up with something interesting to watch. Um, and because of that, I think the movie feels pretty self aware uh, in a way that makes it hard for me to really poke holes in it. Like there there's enough deflection there in terms of being like, well, it's not taking itself that seriously. Right. Um, so I don't know if I have a like a a strong worst thing. I am a little upset. I'm going to go with a silly worst thing. I'm I am upset that we don't see uh the anybody eventually drive the motorcycle uh mm, through the sure. whatever the stunt that they keep setting up is. Um and that is another thing actually that ties into Alex's that uh, they do have two women go and like go into the trailer of the stunt guy so that um, Don Cheadle can steal his clothes because somehow or another his clothes come off when when he goes when the stunt guy goes into the trailer with the two women and it's like the implication there is definitely that they seduced him but he was he was just showing them his baseball card collection <laughs> that he keeps on his chest <laughs> strapped to his vest. <laughs> Um, and you can, you can argue, you can say, oh, and maybe they, they, I don't know, <laughs> he's chloroform, knocked him out. Right. Um, or seduced him, him and then left and then so, didn't yeah, do it, like, yeah. Got him to take his clothes off and then walked out. I don't know. Yeah. It, it doesn't confirm what that is, but it's still, yeah. the the franchise has a problem with the, the men using women. Right. Um, I do find it funny when you see these two young women and they're like just talking to each other, mm-hmm. and then the phone rings. One of them goes, "Hey, Saul!" <laughs> like I just, thought, <laughs> like, oh yeah, this is one of Carl Reiner's contacts. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> uh, I similarly don't really have a clear worst thing, so instead I'll just use this to mention my own kind of uh, uh, inhibitor for this, which is I didn't catch a lot of the plot in this movie. Like I watched the whole thing. I watched it all in one go. I, I paid attention as much as I could, but like, I don't know if it was just like the mood I was in or my brain, but a lot of it slipped by me and I, I, enough that I could basically follow it, but I know there are a lot of specific machinations that just kind of blew past me. So I might be clarifying stuff as we go. Also, there was a part that was probably pretty pivotal where I was opening a particularly loud package of Girl Scout cookies. (laughs) And so (laughs) after that, I was like, oh, I just missed a lot, didn't I? What, so. what is, 
What qualifies particularly large package of Girl Scout cookies? Oh, hard. Or loud, loud. I meant loud. loud. Like they're, okay. It was a, it was a, instead of being in a box, they, these were acting uh, like a plastic wrap, so I had to get the plastic wrap. So it was like, you know, all crinkly and okay. like, it was worth it. They're, well, you know, good cookies. I was, I was going to well, ask you who well, your supplier was. The Girl Scouts of America, Tyler. <laughs> specifically, specifically Troop 6000 in New York, which is a troop that uh, serves young, girl, young women in the shelter system in New York. You can go online and order from them uh, to support that troop. But yeah. I was also going to say, watch it be that that it, we synced it up perfectly. You're both trying to open up Girl Scout cookies, and I don't know, I'm opening up like like a box of Ritz crackers or something. <laughs> You're waiting for your limited uh, O's Time to Die cereal, which still hasn't gotten Stay here Stay on point, Britain. The point is we all missed this key pivotal plot point that George Clooney is in the movie. I didn't call it. Um, I was too busy with my Ritz crackers. Right. <laughs> and before you ask, Britain, why don't you just rewind? Trust me, if I could rewind cookies and experience them again, I would. Um, <laughs> so as far as my best thing goes, I'm going to go with – it's kind of a, 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 a two-hander that I guess just kind of sums up style. I thought the music was really, really good, really, really fun and dynamic without being like weirdly invasive. And I loved the look. I liked how it – it felt like Soderbergh was constantly wanting to make interesting shots and interesting mm-hmm. pictures. And so yeah. there was, especially early on in the movie, when there's a lot of just setup and exposition, and they would just cut back to Clooney and Pitt talking in a location, just like sum up what, they, what we just saw and to set up the next cutaway, essentially. It was never just like a plane, them sitting at a table. It was like an, it's like a crane shot of them looking looking down on them and everything's blue. Or it's like through a window, like just past a curtain, and everything's red and yellow. It and I, I like when you watch a movie and it looks like everything was really chosen. That like the director and the cinematographer really went, okay, let's have this angle and we'll shoot it this way. It made it more visually interesting and, and right. compelling, which is something we've seen throughout this franchise because Soderbergh is that kind of director. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought both of those things added a lot. Um, but I also agree with with everything y'all have said is that you know the female characters aren't treated they are treated they are mistreated better than (laughs) in other movies um but but are 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 still mis uh mistreated and this might be the first time where you've had actual like probably not literally the first time but it felt like this movie there's a lot of like ellen barkin's cleavage and a lot of like women in really short skirts walking around when in the previous movies that they didn't really like sexualize. Well, I mean, even Catherine Zeta Jones, they didn't like, not to yeah. this degree. It didn't feel like, um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I, when I wanted to, to mention to your, your point about Tyler, about the, the premise, I like that. And we, we, we root for oceans team in all of the movies, but it made it even easier to do in this movie where it's like, Oh, a bunch of people get to win. Like, that's yeah. the ending, is yeah. that a bunch of people have a successful day at a casino. Like, that's great. Um, it, it gets Al Pacino, but also it, it makes it even easier to to celebrate the victory with the guys, where you don't have this weird, like, I mean, I definitely side with them, but they still robbed. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. which is fine. It's a movie. I'm not, I'm not you know, trying to run on anybody's parade. But, but I liked that in this you had that extra dose of, of philanthropy, I guess. I don't know. 
Well, not not just that. Also, the fact that that Ruben, like he's the start of it. Right. The fact that that Al Pacino's character screws him over, yeah. in, basically into having a heart attack and going kind of comatose. Yeah. Um, I like how that's all handled. Mm. I, I didn't feel like overly sappy, but it felt like it was paid just enough screen time to 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 be emotionally resonant. Like I like the touch of of linus being like i i don't know what to say to him i can't go up and talk to him yeah. and like he he's delivering these letters and then ruben finally wakes up and he starts reading through the letters and uh, i thought all that yeah. was was oddly touching mm-hmm. for sure you know yeah and Elliot gould hasn't been used a lot in the previous movies but i think this was a nice way to kind of tie that together because i guess i would think if there were that if, if they were going to do this kind of storyline that you would do it with carl reiner instead yeah, right but it's way more fun to have carl reiner out in the in in like in <laughs> yes. the, the heist being the fancy yeah. pe- pet over yeah. decoy i really uh like him in these movies i think he's, mm-hmm. he's been a lot of fun um, yeah but uh but yeah i thought that was a neat way and and that you also didn't have because you had there's a little thing where pitt and clooney are talking about oh ruben taught me how to do this kind of win at this dice game or you know he was kind of their mentor but I like that the movie didn't open with like a young kid playing young Danny Ocean, and then like like an Elliot Gould with a lot of makeup to make himself look younger comes up, and he's like, "Kid, you've got potential." And then they like yeah. flash forward. Yeah. Um, if this was a standard Hollywood franchise, sure. that would be how this would. Yeah, exactly. And you'd be like, "Yeah, I was about to say River Phoenix, but that would be tasteless." Um, <laughs> Jonathan Taylor Thomas, why are you playing young George Clooney? In two thousand and seven or whatever, I, uh, I before we move on too far, I do want to circle back to the music because I meant to mention this for the last one because all three of them have been composed. The music has been composed by David Holmes, who is mm. someone who's not really known for film wise for much beyond these movies. Mm. Um, but the music is it's just it's just bangers like yep. it's it's all just the grooviest like. Just unacceptably groovy. It's yeah. it's it's crazy. <laughs> it's, uh, and it's all the like, yeah, it, like it, these a lot of drums, <clears throat> percussion. I guess. Yeah, it's like there there's some jazziness there. It's it just has a bunch of different moods and uh, make, makes you want to jam. You know. <laughs> no, I I, I like I like when a musical score is really noticeable, but it doesn't. Um, I like realizing kind of in the middle of the scene how good the music is mm-hmm. because it's not like trying to drag my attention away from the action. It's not distracting. I'm just like, oh, this is really adding to what's happening. But I'm also appreciating it as music. Um, yeah. And that's a that's a tough a tough needle yeah. to thread because there's a lot of – most movies have scores that we don't realize. Right. And this is not a bad thing because it's not the point. Um, and then there are – like I, I don't know how many invasive scores I know of. Well, that's not true. I know a few, but like I know like soundtracks. I think tend to be more distracting than musical scores. But um, yeah, but yeah, it's just the, it, it really adds a lot to the movie feeling like this old school heist movie, but also it, it it still feels contemporary. Yeah, it's really really great. The editing of that final scene where everyone's kind of flipping the house and, and taking all of the money sure, yeah. intercut with Al Pacino being stuck in the uh, computer room. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like all of that, the way it's edited to the, com- to the music, it's yeah, it's perfect. Yeah, it's so good. <laughs> and, and the music is it, so often when the music really kicks in, it's for a transitionary 
or mm-hmm. like montage <laughs> scene yeah. like that um where there you don't have to focus on on dialogue and so you can just kind of like right. roll with it and it adds a lot of energy to the scenes definitely very good uh i want a whole movie of uh casey affleck and scott con uh trying to earn uh higher workers wages in some <laughs> mexican factory <laughs> i i did like and i hey, casey affleck is obviously not someone who he's got there the, he, there are problems he is <laughs> not he, he is not yes. the good affleck um but uh so yeah i i have been loath to offer too much praise to him in these trilogies this trilogy but i did find it very funny because they're like oh you know he's getting all worked up in this whole workers uprising he's getting carried away scott con you go and grab him mm-hmm. and then the next time we come back scott con is into it and he's like <laughs> and well, he's yeah, setting well, up a the... molotov cocktail <laughs> that's <laughs> down there great he, he's he's been drafted in this whole like zapata style uprising it, it's <laughs> It's very funny. That that scene in particular when we cut to Z Scott Con there and yeah. he uh he has a Molotov cocktail, he chucks it off screen like behind where the camera is pointing from, and we do this big wide panning zoom out thing so that we see all the workers up against the fence and yeah. there's a van like twenty feet away behind the fence on fire. Uh yeah. and it's it's great. Yeah. It's just, and, it's, well, yeah. just the, the way it connects back because they're they're in they're having a meeting with Andy Garcia and they're trying to figure it out and they're like, this has to work. Like we have to get these loaded dice in there. Like this, mm-hmm. we we can't do this any other way. And they're like, well, how much money is it going to cost? And they're like, thirty five thousand per worker. No, 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 for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> and Andy Garcia is just like shrugging his shoulders, like, are you serious? <laughs> I love it. This yeah. is so great. Yeah, I, I just love how like you don't see Scott Con for a while, and you cut back, and he is just completely bought in. <laughs> it's quite good. And I like the fact also yeah. that that plot line—it's very silly and and fun, and it wraps up pretty early. Um, mm-hmm. So it's not like a thing that they continue to drag on and kind of like try to squeeze things out of. Because I feel like the longer they try to squeeze things out of, I think the the less oh yeah, the, the closer returns. it could have it could have veered towards being offensive. <laughs> oh, if it certainly. isn't already, maybe a little. Sure. Um, I feel like they they could have pushed that way too far, and instead they kind of wrap it up, and then they do a nice touch touch base with it. I guess at the very end, because mm-hmm. um, when they're getting the dice into the casino. The guy delivering it is one of the guys from the factory or something, and and um, Casey Affleck is like, "Oh, so and so told told me to tell you to stay strong or or something like that." Right, right. Um, cute little fun moment, and they have a little like bro hug. Um, so yeah, I, I think that that's a well, again, to the point of how this movie uses the the intricacies of the first one and the, the plot structure of the first one, but also has a lot of the silliness and the fun of the second. Yeah. Um, I think it, it is much smarter about how long to let things run on for and when when it needs to move on to something else. Yes. Have they had the same writers, all three of these movies? Good question. That's a very good question. Let me look I have that no up answers. real quick. Yeah. Obviously, Soderbergh is key to that as the director, but I wonder if he's... Because if, if we have had different writers for each movie, that is even more impressive. <laughs> yeah. That, that they have been as... Uh, uh, controlled as they have been um well, let me look up mm. the credits real quick yeah i i, I like while you're looking that up alex i 
you know, I talked a lot about how I, I like the psycho one just as a piece of like entertainment. And I think this one does a nice job of going, okay, we should keep the comedy because the comedy is not the, was not a problem. Like let's still be funny mm-hmm. and let's just let that take more of a backseat, but we'll still have it in the movie. Um, like there's a lot of funny stuff with Matt Damon and, and there's still some good stuff with, with Clooney and Pitt, but, and I actually liked how, even if it's odd that Tess and Isabel aren't in the movie, I think it was kind of funny that they never specified what the problem was. That, like, there's a whole conversation Pitt has where he was like, well, you know, I was... And Clooney's like, yeah, you always are. And then she said, nah, every time. <laughs> that he kept cutting him off and they were having this full conversation mm-hmm. completely nonspecifically. Um, and so I thought it was like... I, I don't know if there was... Julie Roberts and Zeta Jones were just busy or didn't want to come back or, or if or what it was. But I, I think it's funny that they I don't know, I feel like if they had just tried to do some like, oh, Tess, she's with the kids that could have been like, What really? So I like that they kind of made a joke out of it of like, we're just never really gonna explain it. Yeah. <laughs> we're gonna bring it up a lot, but we're never really gonna go through with it. Yeah. It looks like each film has a different set of writers. Wow. Fascinating. That's awesome. Or impressive. <laughs> I think that speaks to just Soderbergh's vision mm-hmm. for what he wants these movies to be. Yeah. And obviously, like, the writers have been good. But, yeah, definitely Soderbergh and the and the editor have, have, have certainly done something impressive. Um, how did we feel about the whole plot, or part of the plot being that they have to... Uh... <laughs> Saul, obviously, uh, being the fake... Uh, hotel and casino critic, but then they just completely sabotage the other guy's weekend. So oh, There's something that I wanted to clarify. So that was all because they're trying to ruin the reputation, right? They're just yes. poisoning this yes. guy's life. They're okay. trying to make it as terrible as possible so he will not give Al Pacino the Five Diamond Award. Okay, okay. Um, I felt so bad for David Paymer, <laughs> Academy <laughs> Award nominee and great character actor David Paymer. Um, but but that made his big win at the end of the mm-hmm. movie so satisfying. That that is, I love how that's the last thing oh, we see. It, that's just perfect. It definitely makes the movie because I think you you spend a lot of the movie being like, oh, they're they're really just like they make this guy his room smells awful. Yeah. Um, they make the concierge lady uh, treat him like super coldly and not help him at all. Um, they put like bed bugs. In his his bed, and, and he yeah. gets like bit up and stuff. Yeah, they do uh, something with his food at the the Chinese restaurant. Yeah, they make it like too spicy or something like that. Right, right. Um, and they just they they torture him in, in many different ways, and then uh, at the end of the film. So I guess what is and Alex, you might be the only one who can clarify this. What is the thing with them dropping the coins in the particular order? Uh, into the slot machines? I think the idea is that they have some sort of device, and I can't remember if Eddie Izzard gives them the device or not, to mess with the slot machines so that they come out a certain way. Um, but basically, Brad Pitt's, like, leaving the change there. Right. So they, they will be, they'll pick it up and be like, oh, and then they just insert it. Right, because I think they mentioned something about how like you have to drop in the coins a certain number of time, and we see Brad Pitt or a certain at a certain like rhythm, and we see Brad Pitt doing that. But I don't know what the reason for that is. I don't know if that's because of the device they use or like. Oh, that, that I mean, that might be it. That it might be because the slot machines are are programmed 
in that way and they found out i can't quite remember yeah. the details behind that but yeah that 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 might be why yeah. Long story short, they had Brad Pitt tell the guy, "Hey, try this one. It's it's doing pretty well." And he tries it, and he wins. And it's like, "Oh, that's a great like." It's a sudden last show of heart from yeah. the movie that it's like, "No." Wait, wait. And it's also a good it, it's a good setup and payoff, not just because of that, but then they have the lady earlier. They they do that the, the exact same thing as yes. a distraction in the casino. Yes. Because and yeah, he wins like what twenty million dollars. I mean, it's something just mm-hmm. insane. Yeah. Yeah, that that felt good. How do we feel about so so Bob Einstein, the the not agent? That's Matt Damon's dad, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. Because I had been wondering, you know, they talk a lot about his dad and his mom and everything. So I wondered if his if his dad was going to be like a big celebrity cameo. Like I don't know who it would have been, but I really don't know. I don't know. Not Frank Sinatra, obviously, because he wasn't <laughs> living. But uh, some big name star, Sean Connery or whatever, sure. and and I like this is not a drag on Bob Einstein. I liked him on on Curb Your Enthusiasm. He's he's good. But were you guys well, the first time you watched the movie? Were, did you have a similar expectation, and did that feel like a letdown? If so, or were you just like, oh, that's his dad? Okay. Um. No, not not really. Um, I think the first time that I really kind of watched this movie thoroughly was after watching, like I kind of, I, I think I, I have a, like a, a Blu-ray set of all three movies together. So I just kind of watched them all in quick succession. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think you know, with the reveal of Linus's mom in the second movie and it's like, oh, it's not like a super recognizable sure. face or anything like that. I, you know, I, I thought it helped enhance kind of the surprise. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like true, that. Yeah. I like the way that you know how they're not like no, no, no. Not all the the principal characters in this movie are going to be faces you recognize. That way we can ha- we can play around with it a little bit right. more. Yeah. Um, I like how they're able to do that. Um, I I did have some questions about because Linus's dad seems to come in as like just a way to help Livingston because Livingston can't figure out the card machines correctly. And I was a bit confused about how, if Linus was helping Livingston, because Livingston seems to be going like, keep it a secret. I don't want the team knowing that I screwed up. So I need, we, you need to take me out of the equation. That way Eddie Izzard can get in there to mess with the card machines. So I was a little bit confused about, how how much the whole team is aware of at any given the, time? Because Linus's father seems like an extra element that gets added in late in the game, but then he takes Linus out, and then they go to the you know the helicopter, the helipad on the roof, and then of course the Nighthawk shows up. So I think the idea, um, so he he serves a few purposes because one, um, he gets Livingston out. And that allows Roman to replace him. But it also, when that happens, all the the entire team is kind of like, oh, crap, this is all blowing up and it's not going according to plan. Um, and they're all being listened in by uh, Terry Benedict. So, like, he's right. listening to the radio at the same time. So he thinks that that was... I think the idea is that Livingston screws up on purpose. Because Livingston smiles when he gets into the police car. And obviously, it's... Um, Linus's dad, who is the one who takes him, right? 
No, no, I, I recognize that that Livingston, like that, was part of his plan. I was just a bit confused about if everyone else was aware That's of that. It. Maybe that. Maybe you're right. I thought it was a misdirect because of Terry Benedict listening in. They wanted him to think that it was like not going according to plan because they had the whole. They were already preparing to sneak the diamonds out and like all that stuff. Um, right. But you may be right. It may have just been because he was trying to uh, get out of the way because he knew Roman could do it. But I also think it's on purpose because I think, like, for the entire team, so that um, Al Pacino will, like, basically be more on guard. Because th- they do something with that. I think. Maybe. Maybe I don't understand the plot of this movie. Does, <laughs> do, isn't there something that comes out of them alerting him by Livingston getting outed by the games gamesman guy? By Linus's dad. I can't I remember. I think there's some consequence of that that helps, that ultimately helps them. Um, I mean, I guess part of it is just that Roman gets on the floor. Uh, but anyway, the other point of Linus's dad is that Linus goes up to the diamond area with uh, re- receptionist lady, assi- not receptionist, assistant lady. Miss um, Sponder. Miss Sponder. And he puts the stuff on the diamonds that allows the diamond case to explode at the end of the movie so they can lift it off with a helicopter. And so that's how, that's why Linus' dad needs to go up and get him and take him back out. Right. Um, I've lost the, the plot of what the original question you had was, but the, the he is there for a reason. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, it didn't seem to me that everybody knew he was going to be involved though. So that might have been right. something that Linus just like set up to to smooth out the Livingston stuff. Maybe so. Right. Um I mean it's not a big deal and, and really for you know I I'm not gonna say like the first one is like you could probably poke holes in the first one sure. as to why, oh this this doesn't quite make sense. This I, but it's tight enough and it goes so fast yeah. you don't really think about it. And this one it, it was close to being like that, where it does still move really fast and the pacing's really nice. There were just a couple of things where I'm like, I feel like there's a few too many elements at play sure. here. There's, and, and I I do like it at, at the beginning when um Roman comes to visit them, and he's like, okay, bring me up to speed. I'm willing to help. Whatever you want. And then they're going through like every single step of the plan in terms of like. All right, we got to mess with the slot machines. We got to mess with the poker tables. We got to mess with this. We got to mess with that. And he's like, "So it's not that. It's not that. It's not that." And they're like, "It's this impossible security system." And he's like, "Bye." Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I I like that that kind of breakdown, and that's that's really what I appreciate in these movies. Is you know, I feel like these types of movies when when they're so plot driven, and and they're just like fun ensemble pieces. I feel like it gives the director an opportunity to really experiment with like, okay, so I've just got like a ton of exposition. Yeah. How, what are some creative ways that I can deliver that? Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like Soderbergh just excels at that. And all those scenes I just, I, I eat up. Like if you had a whole movie of them just discussing the plan, yeah. not even carrying <laughs> it out, just discussing how they were going to overcome each obstacle. I think that would be a pretty solid movie. <laughs> Yeah, I um Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How did we feel about Al Pacino? Yeah. Um Okay, so so Britain hot take time. I have never been in I've never been awed by Al Pacino the way that I know a lot of people are. And I don't think he's bad. I'm this is not a 
you know, uh, uh, Al Pacino slander account or anything. But, um, and maybe I just haven't, like, I haven't seen the Godfather movies, so I'm, I'm, I haven't seen Scarface, I haven't seen, uh, another one. Um, <laughs> Jack I've and seen Jill. It. I haven't seen <laughs> Jack and Jill. So, like, I'm probably, I may be missing some of those key performances that a lot of people, like, that's the thing that a lot of people love him for. Um, but I, I, I do know that one of the big complaints about him is that a lot of people feel like he goes too big at least more recently. And I felt like he did not in this movie. He felt mm-hmm. subdued, but not like sedated or sedate. He felt right. like, no, I wasn't I'm, bored. I'm, I'm sorry. He wasn't bored. Yes, exactly. He wasn't bored, but, but he also wasn't like, Oh, casinos money. It's crazy. He was just like, I don't know. He actually was like trying. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, mean, I thought he was, I thought it was fine. You know, I, I'm not quite to that extreme as you are, Britain. Um, mostly because I have seen some sure. some of Pacino's earlier. Like he is, he is really great in those first two Godfather movies, sure. and I I think he's he's probably one I, of, he's one of the best parts of the third one. Sure. Um, as mixed as that yeah. is, um, and then like Dog Day Afternoon, he's he's wonderful in. I think it's really just like modern day Al Pacino. Then that might that's be kind it, of yeah. m- more distracting. Like I I've. You know that's kind of one of my biggest problems with uh, insomnia mm. is kind of Al Pacino, gotcha. just because I feel like he's just like, oh, it's it's just Al Pacino. Right. Um, but yeah, th- this one felt different, and I don't know if that's just up to Soderbergh's directing or or what. Yeah. But but Al Pacino is like really really good in this, yeah. and like it's it's just fun to see him play like a straight up bad guy. Right. Yeah. Um. Have, have either of y'all seen Dick Tracy? Um, no, I watched that not too, too long ago and he, I believe he got an Oscar nomination for it and it's a very big performance <laughs> with, uh, it, that's, that's a movie based on a comic strip where mm-hmm. they used makeup to make all the human actors look like they were the characters in the comic strip. So like their eyes would be really big or small or have these giant prosthetic ears. It was unsettling in a lot of ways. <laughs> And and Pacino really leaned into it, which is in some ways a good thing, and in other ways not. And like I liked him in The Irishman. Um, I, Joe Pesci was the performance that stood out for me in that one. Um, but but yeah, I, I think you're right. I, I think that in this, he he just seemed more engaged um, I, than he should. I will does. I will say I think in uh, Godfather one and two, I kind of feel like he's outshined by both. Marlon Brando and Robert De Niro, <laughs> like, sure, <laughs> respectively. Well, not just not just them. Robert Duvall too. Sure. <laughs> do you think uh, Do you think Scott Con and Pacino sat down and had chats about Scott's dad? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Elf, great, loved it. <laughs> Swirly twirly gumdrops. Urgh. I can't do a very good Al Pacino. How does Elf change if Al Pacino? Is Will Ferrell's dad? Ooh, of James hmm. <laughs> I would, I would love to see the shot of Al Pacino pulling that like red nighty out of the gift bag. <laughs> what? Urgh. It hurts to do that. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think it would enhance the comedy because Al Pacino's so short and Will Ferrell's so tall. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's not wrong, man. James Conn's really good in that movie too. I got <laughs> I gotta say though, he's actually quite good in that. Um. 
I, you talking about the the familiarity of the actors. I, I have liked that these movies, as they became bigger and bigger hits, they didn't start like like I like Livingston is not someone I recognize. Like he's not a famous person, and I like I know him from I know him from the Thomas Jane Punisher movie. Oh, right, <laughs> I had forgotten about that. Um, who does he play in that? The Punished, I suppose. He does get punished. Um, he. he He's uh he's like uh John Travolta's like not butler he's like a servant is Travolta kinda... in that movie? Mm-hmm. John Travolta's the bad guy. That's very funny. Um, but yeah, he plays like he he's like the the look down upon servant gotcha. that ends up working with the Punisher to help take down John Travolta. Uh, yeah. Okay. Okay. And there's a very there's a very wonderful darkly funny scene and it might be one of the best scenes in the film where the Punisher has captured him. And has him hanging upside down, and he's threatening him. He's like, "I'm gonna burn off like a huge chunk of your back with like this this uh, torch," and it, he's like, "Oh, you're not gonna feel anything. Like it's gonna be so hot. Like your nerve endings are just gonna burn up, and then you'll feel nothing but cold." And then he just sticks him with a lollipop, or not a lollipop, popsicle. It's like, um, yeah, yeah. And he's just sticking him, and he thinks his back is getting burned, and he's just getting. It's uh, what a weird movie. <laughs> Written by John Patrick Shanley of Doubt. So probably that actually is I think is that the one with the Russian? Yes, the big big Russian guy. Uh, it's based yeah. at least the fir- the non Travolta parts are based very heavily on a uh, Punisher run by Garth Ennis. Mm. Um, mm. Who... Garth Ennis of the boys fame. Yeah, yeah I not, okay, I think you just answered all my questions. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, because uh, I like that this movie didn't start being like, okay, Livingston's not as famous. He doesn't get to do anything. Like, he, he stays a part of... The, and, and, and he's not the only one, but he's... Uh, as the sort of example of what I'm talking about, that even though these are movies with big stars and big cameos, no one feels, like, thrown off to the side. I feel like Don sure. Cheadle and Bernie Mac didn't do as much in this one. That could have been scheduling. That could have been. Because yeah. what year was this movie? 2007. Okay. Bernie Mac was off doing his one scene in Transformers. Because, <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, uh, Cheadle hadn't joined the MCU yet then. Yeah. But he he was likely doing other things. Um, <clears throat> and so the award circuit for Crash, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but I I liked that they didn't. I like that they stuck with the cast and they were able to get the full team back in every movie. Uh, I think yeah. is I think is really impressive, which is something you don't always get in these trilogies. The scene with Livingston where he's he's applying for the job, yes. and he's 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 got to keep he's got like a thumbtack in his shoe and he's got to keep pushing his foot down to cause himself pain. Yeah, that way he can get through the lie detector test. Right, right. Ugh. Yeah, that part was like a little chilling. <laughs> I, I I do love how how open and honest Rusty always is when they have questions for me. Yeah, he's like, "Is it is it gonna hurt? Probably be excruciating." It's also I, I realized <laughs> Brad Pitt. I think it gets more screen time in these movies than Clooney does. Yeah, probably. It, it feels like Clooney's it, le- like Danny's leading the team, but it feels like Brad Pitt is like I don't know more I, focused on. Something. I almost feel like it's it's swung. I feel like the first one was more Clooney. And mm. the second one kind of middled out, and then this one was more pit. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. But yeah, to your point, Britton, I 
you know, uh, some of the some of the folks that you know we probably want to have more screen time. You know, at, at least they get really memorable yeah. scenes. Yeah, like specifically for Bernie Mac, that scene where he's trying to sway Al Pacino into bringing his card game to the casino, right. and then Andy Garcia comes in to, to fake challenge Al Pacino. Like mm-hmm. all of that stuff's really great. Yeah, and then specifically. <laughs> Yes, it is unfortunate that we don't see Don Cheadle ride that motorcycle and do that stunt. <laughs> mm-hmm. But the scene where he goes in with that fake, like, super southern drawl yes, yes. and is, like, pestering Al Pacino is wonderful. That was very funny. Yeah, he did a really, really good job in that in that scene. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I like that because the, the, the movie seemed to become very aware of his British accent. And so they were like, here, do a <laughs> yeah. different one. <laughs> yeah. That's very silly on purpose. Yeah, yeah. that was good. How did we feel about Matt Damon's prosthetic nose? I was because literally going to interrupt thing. you and say that. And so I'm, <laughs> look at that. I thought it was funny. The, the it best like part, Dick Tracy. The, the <laughs> yeah. best part is when uh, his dad hands him the nose back in the elevator. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then he kept like, no, the nose plays. The nose plays. I, I do like the bit where he's trying to sip the champagne mm-hmm. and his nose just gets stuck <laughs> in the glass. <laughs> You know, you forget the the value of just, like, a good, like, sight gag like that. Just a good, yeah. like, it's a physical prosthetic gag. That's it. We don't need people mm-hmm. commenting on it. We don't need to do joke in a joke. It's just, there, there you go. That's all you need. Right. Uh, um, yeah, I, I really like uh, how fun Matt Damon gets to be in these movies. I like that he gets to be the, like, kind of the Joey Bishop of the group. And, like, he gets to be plucky and gets to be like no I, I have an idea hey listen i can do it i can do it um right and that he is very capable but, but he's also kind of naive um yeah. and i just think it's a lot of fun to to watch because i i don't i feel like i don't get to see matt damon do this kind of stuff a lot yeah i think just because he he is such a leading man like so many of his roles he's got to be like super competent right. and like very confident in himself Whereas with this, it, because he he kind of gets free reign as a, as a you know he's a major supporting character, yeah. but he is a supporting character. He can kind of <laughs> explore that a bit more and be a bit different from from what he would normally do. So. And a lot of his movies where he is the leading man, he gets to be a little more interesting than your sort of stock like I don't know, just sure. just be a guy in a movie. Like I think he's yeah. great in The Martian. Um, I love him in Talented Mr. Ripley, which is a very different kind of thing. Um, and I, I have faith that he's quite good in Ford B. Ferrari. Uh, but I feel like the... Bo- he is. Yeah, I, I fully yeah. believe it. And I feel like the Bourne movies did really good things for his career, but they also sort of lean so much on his charisma. I feel like that means he gets a lot of bland offers where it's like, go in and yeah. be Matt Damon. Buy a zoo. Just just do that. And it's like... But he he's a very good... As we've talked about with Pitt, like, Damon's a very good actor and can be very funny. And really fun to watch. One thing I find interesting is that the timeline of these movies roughly corresponds with at least the first three Bourne films. Oh, you're right. Because um, a Bourne Ultimatum came out the same year as Ocean's 13. Huh. Wow. So I feel like every few years he would be like, all right, I'm doing, I'm doing both of them. Let's, <laughs> let's do this. <laughs> yeah, we're going to do those Bourne movies at some point. They're pretty good. I'm, I'm sure they are. I've actually seen the first... Maybe I've seen the first three. I can't remember. 
And I've seen the first I, two. I, I want to know what you guys think of the Jeremy Renner one because I am a yeah. staunch defender of that movie. I have not attempted it. I am a staunch defender of that movie. You lost me at Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> Could have got me back with Sisto, but you didn't. And you lost me with Renner. <laughs> so. yeah. Who directed that one? Uh, Colin Trevor. One of the Gilroys. <laughs> Colin Trevor. Did you say one of the boys? <laughs> No, one of the Gilroys. Oh, you know, I thought... You know, one of the boys. Yeah, I was like, Carl Urban directed that movie? <laughs> Frenchie? What well, are you talking that, about? See, see, Carl Urban is both on the show The Boys, and he's also one of the boys. Like, he's, yes. <laughs> he's, he's a dude, you know? <laughs> Tony Gilroy. Oh, Tony Gilroy. Has somebody... Yeah. Has, has, uh, has one of those... Um, like asylum film type studios have have they jumped on making a, a film or TV show called The Guys? <laughs> Capes, Capes, because I will, I will do it. That, that's it will star good. us, and it will be terrible. Guys, I would love that, and I would love if we could do the Transmorphers movie. <laughs> <laughs> I would not love that. <laughs> Um, I will produce terrible content to put in, into the world. I won't consume terrible content <laughs> that already exists. That's true. Man, I can't wait for mid-March. So. <laughs> Britain, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't get it. Why, why are you saying that? What, what, what comes out in mid-March? Does No Time to Die come out in mid-March? Alex, that's not the level of, co- I assume, not going to be the level of content Tyler was saying. <laughs> he does a big jump See, off you say staircase. that. You say that, and yet I can't build something up like this for this long without it being a massive That's disappointment. Absolutely true. Funnily enough, uh, as as longtime listeners will know from our stories about watching Batman versus Superman, uh, full circle. Anyway, <laughs> full circle. More things about Ocean's Thirteen that we have to say. Oh, I like uh, talking of disguises. I enjoyed Brad Pitt as the short swearing. Uh, sort of David Foster Wallace looking guy mm-hmm. trying to sell yeah. the seismograph. I thought that was very yeah. funny. And I like that he wasn't, he was kind of doing a voice, but not really. Yeah. He was mostly just talking while wearing this ridiculous outfit. <laughs> and and similarly, in one of the montages when they were spying on something, Clooney had like a turtleneck and this big necklace and this hilarious mustache. And it was just one shot, but it was so funny. Yeah. How did we feel about the Night Fox coming back? It's fun, and I love I love his meltdown when he realizes yeah. he yeah. got the fake diamonds. Uh, yeah. I, I like how how he is not like a major part of the movie, mm-hmm. right? Like I like the one hint that oh he's at the casino, he's following them. What's he up to? And then he sweep swoops in at the very end, and it's like no, they tricked him the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's a non-threat in this movie. Yeah, and I do like the touch that he he has a gun with no bullets in it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That, that was just a nice touch of like, yeah, he he is like an honorless thief, and he does like just screwing these guys over at every turn. But I appreciate that just that one extra bit of like, I'm not lethal. Yeah, that these movies are not they're not action movies. They're not actually about yeah. like threats of violence. Not really. <laughs> sure. Uh, yeah, yeah, I like that. Very very Andy Griffith of him. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I just pictured Andy Griffith being the Night Fox. (laughs) 
Well, now I'd love to to take those diamonds off if you don't mind. <laughs> um, I love the ending with all of them standing and watching the uh, and the, fireworks. the fountains in Las Vegas. Another nice to, little uh, throwback to the first one, standing outside yeah. the hotel. Yeah. Also set to uh, this town, yeah. which is one of my favorite Frank Sinatra songs. Sure. Um, I. it's interesting that they didn't use that in the first movie. That feels like such an obvious, like, it's the song he did about Vegas. I don't know. There's something nice about, like... Soderbergh's so weird because so much of it feels like, oh, he's like a master of his craft and he knows when to restrain himself. But, like, oh, so many of his choices also feel self-indulgent. Like, it's just this weird juxtaposition. And I kind of love it. <laughs> yeah, I also, I really enjoy the fact that part of the, one of the the recurring bits in this is is talking about how both Al Pacino and um, what, the guy who gets into a coma. Ruben. Oh, Ruben. Elliot Gold. Yes, it, Ruben is, I, I don't care about remembering Al Pacino's character's name. <laughs> Although his name is Bink. Bank or Banks? Bank. Bank. Which is pretty fun. Because yeah. then Break he, the bank. he calls the hotel the bank, and this is pretty good. Um, anyway, I like that they both shook Tr- Sinatra's hand, and apparently yeah. that's like a big thing. And so then at the end, uh, George Clooney is like, "You shook, you shook Sinatra's hand. You should know better than to, should have known better than Cross Rubin." Um, and, and that's that's fine. It almost makes me wish we had done the first, the original, uh, mm. leading into this. Um, yeah. But also. Probably best to leave that as like a, oh, this was a fun passing reference that we get. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I um, it was interesting watching that final sort of back and forth with Clooney and Pacino, which is very good. But I I got the strongest flashback to that to the trailer for this movie, which opens with part of that confrontation, hmm. where or Pacino's like, I know people, and those people are the luckiest people. And and he's just all threat. And then Clooney's like, well, I know a lot of those same people and they like me better than you. And that's like how the, that, the trailer opens with that, hmm. which I thought yeah. was really interesting that they were able to pull the post-climax scene and yeah. use it in the trailer. Um, there are a couple of shots from this. Because I, well, I guess it's just from like, I probably own a lot of DVDs from <laughs> 2006, 2007 when there were trailers for that on the DVDs. I'm like, I've seen that a lot. On the DVD for Atonement Including uh, 55 <laughs> copies of Spider-Man 2. Mm-hmm. Probably. Probably. <laughs> I guess that's... I was thinking that's 2005. That's 2004. Right. Yep. Saw that in the theaters. 55 But if copies. it was Spider-Man 2.5 or 2.1 or whatever... Oh, I was going to say... The Dark Horse animated comic? Sure. I was going to say I'm I'm correcting this to uh, 55 copies of 2005's Fantastic Four. Uh, fan five stick. Fan five stick. Fan 55 stick. If you <laughs> yeah. Talk about a star-studded <laughs> cast. <laughs> Ian Griffith, are you kidding me? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, did you guys see the post-credit sequence of the second one where the director came out and said, "Gotcha, prank, pranked you, <laughs> pranked you." It was all prank. Has the director ever done anything quite like I want? I want to see a movie that is 
Like, what if Josh Trank had come out at the end of Van Forstick and been like, it was a big joke. Trank prank. comedy. Trank prank. <laughs> Street Gotcha. Marks. Gotcha. Uh, honestly, I think the closest you would get to that is the, uh, the bit in at least the theatrical cut of Justice League with the I tried. <laughs> like, there's a homeless guy just sitting yes. there in the corner and it's, it's got, he's got a little cardboard sign that says I tried and then jo- Joss Whedon's credit pops up <laughs> as writer. This is true. I did not know that was in the film. That is in the film. I will not be watching the film before I see the Snyder Cut. I just Same. want everyone to know. I will be viewing it on its own merits in a vacuum. I think it might actually make you think better of the Snyder Cut if you watch uh, that I, I genuinely, I, I am, I'm excited. Uh, we, we've made many passing references to the Snyder Cut. Um, and we will continue, we will to, do continue so, to do so, even long after it is released. Long after it's released. Um, I am excited to watch it. Because I think it will have many fun things in store for us, good, good or bad. Uh, I genuinely would not be surprised if it's if it's a good bit better than the 2017 one because it is. Uh, that is be- n- not really a movie. <laughs> it's yeah. at the very least, it will be more theoretically more unified. Sure. Yeah, more singular. Yeah, you guys see that they got that dark side art out. I got that dark side art. Yeah, there he is. We, this is like this is the part of the podcast where we have to, in kind of the same way that old comics and some new comics, mostly old comics, would have, they'd be you know twenty four or thirty two issues, and they'd have uh, somewhere from like five to eight pages of a backup story. <laughs> uh, this is where we have to build up the backup story, and like sometimes, sometimes it'd be something happening in the same universe, right? So it's like you got Spider Man going on, and then you got like, oh, who's this mysterious villain? What's he getting up to over here? In the in the background, and, and you're building up to the big confrontation. That's what's happening right now. That's why we've suddenly <laughs> shifted to talking about the Snyder Cut. Yeah, I still haven't watched that trailer. Um, <laughs> I I just continue to read like that. Snyder keeps keeps going through through interviews, and I keep just reading quotes from him. And I'm like, you don't make any sense. Nope. I'm sorry. It'll make a lot of Quit dollars talk- off of this one. Quit talking about how the black suit for Superman is like him getting closer to his family because that just does not make sense. Like, Ah. just say you think it looks cool and, like, accept it. Like, move on. I don't know, Potkin. I'm sorry. I I should not be the one telling you to move on, but move on. I don't know. Potkin is dead. So, I mean. (laughs) Yeah, he's grieving. Hey, there's no wrong way to grieve, Alex. I mean, there is, and that's by eating your hero cake. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think when we, when we all, because we're all going to have like a, our wonderful group chat going while we all watch the Snyder Cut together. Yeah. I think the both of you should have hero cake while you're watching it, and I should have like some Ritz crackers or something. <laughs> Girl Scout hero cakes. Girl Scout hero cakes. I, um... I did have the thought the other day. Oh right, I'm going to I'm going to watch the Snyder cut and I'm going to watch it by myself. Like <laughs> it was just this dawning I was like in my kitchen and I just oh my god. <laughs> That's going to be I, like a night of my life. <laughs> I do almost think we should heavily consider setting up a Skype chat or Skype call 
while we all watch it together. I just, I know that we don't think about time the same way because I'm like six or seven years older than y'all, but that's a night of my life. <laughs> Potentially two nights of your life. You know, depending the thing on how I get one of. <laughs> no, it'll it's be fun. It's gonna be a disaster. No, it'll be great. We'll get to see all the badges and, you know. Our friend Ray. It'll be a good time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Joe Morton's in there. Come on. <laughs> no, can't, can't be bad. <laughs> you know, uh, J.K. Simmons has never been in a bad film. No, no. <laughs> Cycling through my memory of his so, movies, and I was like, what are, wait a minute, is this, is this true? What are our grades for Ocean thir- Ocean's 13, which came out in 2007? Yes. Possibly related to my last comment. Um, what are our grades? I'm going to go with an A minus. I really liked it. Um, the only reason it's not quite as good as the first one is that it's just not quite as tight. Um, there's still a little. It, it's got a little bit of the, the, the fluffiness that the second one has in terms of like, yeah, we're just kind of meandering. We're doing whatever. The things will happen. It's fine. Um, so it's not quite. Is tight, but I I do like that this is kind of a return back to to more in the vein of the first one. So A minus, I, I think it's a really good time. Um. Oh, also just to uh, uh, say because I, I mentioned that I was going to discuss the uh, negative reviews. Basically, all the negative reviews are like it's self indulgent and not as good as the first one. I'm like, oh, that's the second one. <laughs> a little self-indulgence is fine when you can back it up, I think. And I think Soderbergh can back it up. Yeah. And I don't just mean on the dance floor. Uh... <laughs> Sorry, I just pictured it. I... All right, dance-offs. Zack Snyder and Soderbergh, who wins? <laughs> okay, well, listen. We all know that Zack Snyder is going to be doing the Lisa from Saved by the Bell. <laughs> and... He... <laughs> And Soderbergh's going to be doing, I, I don't know, the Macarena? Yeah. Macarena and uh, mashed potato and the twist. I don't know dances. I'm going to go <laughs> B plus again. Um, I, I've said this before. These movies are really well done. They're, they just kind of blow past me. Not, And it's purely a Britain thing. It's purely a Britain like, I don't really get heist movies. I, this is a lot of stuff that I just am not wired to receive, but I can absolutely tell like how well done these are. And I do still have fun watching them because so often when you get the bill, the, the marketing hook of an all-star cast or like, we got these famous people in a thing together. The script doesn't back it up. The directing doesn't back it up. We're just supposed to be excited at looking at these faces in the same frame, but these movies seem a lot more capable of and aware of capable of showing off the charisma and aware of the charisma and like, why these people are movie stars. It understands why Clooney and Brad Pitt and Matt Damon are are movie stars and why Don Cheadle's a fun actor and why Julia Roberts Roberts is a fun actress. And they know how to make these feel like roles and not just jobs. And I, I really appreciate when I can see a movie with a lot of actors I like and feel like I got a fun performance from those actors and not just, well, I got to look at them at least so so yeah i'm also going to b plus uh i enjoyed it quite a bit 
it is just kind of sloppy in places. Um, but it's it's a ton of fun. It's it's a blast. I think this the, this overall has been a, a good trilogy, and I'm mm-hmm. from from what I remember, I think Ocean's Eight will also follow up on that well. But I I'm hoping it will it will fulfill the legacy. I guess it, it doesn't quite have the uh, the style sure. that Soderbergh brings to it, but it's still really really fun. Yeah, I remember hearing positive things from both of y'all when you when you saw mm-hmm. it. So I'm 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 excited to see what uh what is in the store. Um, yeah. So, oh, good. But I was gonna say I've just come to the realization that uh, the Spider-Man movies also came out on like the exact same pace as the the original Spider-Man trilogy came out on like the exact same pace yeah. as the Born first Born trilogy and this trilogy. Two thousands. Yeah, there's always time. something special about your first Born trilogy. When did I? <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm going to keep derailing this. When did the... Uh, Alex is not re- not yet recovered. From <laughs> um, I'm just going to look this up instead of making Alex tell me. Um, I'm doing one of my patented silent laughs where I almost fall out of the chair. I thought you were yawning for a minute. <laughs> okay. X, X-Men does not track with this. I was hoping it might. Mm. No. So what this means is Wither Toby... Why was Toby not getting up to scraps in a... Why wasn't Toby the kid with the shakes or whatever giving Danny some tips in this movie when Danny tossed into the 10,000 to clear his debt? Why wasn't that Toby? <laughs> I mean, Topher Grace. Oh, true, true. <laughs> I have the trilogy that matches the first three Oceans movies perfectly in terms of years of release. We've already referenced it. Shrek. Shrek. <gasps> The 2000, that is, like, a very specific, like... (laughs) Yeah, really. Just, you know... 2007 was also a very interesting year because that was the writer's strike year when everything was weird for a minute. Well, well, 2007, I think, was mostly, like, post-production films getting released, where it's, like, really 2008. True, true. How, how, 2008 and 2009, how, how else would Avatar have become... Uh, a, a 2.7 billion no I'm kidding it's fine it's no it's fine fine no it's it not it looked good at the time uh <laughs> when 2007 had like atonement and no country for old men there will be mm-hmm. blood uh uh michael clayton juno like ratatouille i think like really the, strong the writer the writer's movies. strike the writer's strike was uh all the writers being like we just did Get us, get us more money what are you like <laughs> it was it was also the year of the threequel you got spider-man 3 shrek the third the born ultimatum um pirates of the caribbean 3 uh Ocean's ocean 13. 13 wow when did the other no pirates of the caribbean 2 was 2006 was that like yeah because they filmed those back to back yeah i also think that was the i think born ultimatum won the most oscars that year I think it was actually the most awarded. That makes movie. sense for like three or it got like three or four because I know it got editing and I think both of the sound maybe like it. Mm. That was a year where they got the awards were spread pretty evenly. Like I remember, no movie had more than one acting nomination except for Michael Clayton, um, which was great because he had a lot of different movies uh, represented. Oh, Lars and the Real Girl came out that year, and I love that movie. Um, but like I think Ultimatum ended up winning the most. Uh, so. That makes sense movies. that it would sweep the technical yeah. awards like that. Oh. 
pretty darn good movie. I believe it. We'll we'll get there one day. I um <laughs> talking of awards and and all these things. My my recommendation this week is kind of a brag so i don't want to couch it too much as a brag but uh my my dear friend logan and co-host of the uh marketers cut podcast got me uh he gave me a hot tip and got me set up with a virtual screening of the film minari um Mm. which i watched uh over the weekend uh lee isaac chung's story of a korean family who has immigrated to america and moved from california to arizona i believe to to start a farm and make a life there uh and spoilers it's beautiful <laughs> it was a really lovely movie um watching it like on a laptop like kind of late at night and during like kind of a, a weird weekend I, I feel like i didn't get to tap into the movie as much as i normally would have but it says something that i was still as moved as i was um it stars steven yun from the walking dead mm-hmm. who it's a it's a whole other podcast where I discuss how and why that character and Steve Young himself are so important to me, but he's brilliant in this movie as the patriarch of the family. The whole cast is really great. Like both of the kids, Yeri Han who plays Steve Young's wife, the grandma in the movie's wonderful. Will Patton, who's a wonderful American character actor, is really really fantastic in it. Um, Another actor from the Thomas Jane Punisher? I wouldn't be surprised. Yes. He's done a lot of those movies. I, I know him from Falling Skies where he played mm-hmm. like a general. And in this he's just like a very like sweet, uh, a very pious like working man. Just a really lovely guy. And I, I think the movie is so – it's so quiet and so intimate. And it was really neat to see a movie that's about immigrants that's not – about the political side of it. Not, and I don't mind. I, I, I like when movies set out to tell those stories because you need to tell those stories. But this is very much about like, what does this family feel like? How, do, how does this family feel when they're in an even more unfamiliar place in an unfamiliar country where they are having to learn how to get along with each other and the literal land that is different from everything they've known compared to Korea, but even just compared to America and the places they've lived before and how they try to make a living and make a life. And it is as much about family dynamics as it is about the Korean immigration experience. And it is very, very, uh, very much of a microcosm. Um, it doesn't seem to be trying to set out to tell the, the, the story of immigration. It seems to be Lee Isaac Chung wanting to talk about this story, which I think is is fairly autobiographical from his experiences, um, it's just a really wonderful time. Uh, the the viewing was set up through I think A twenty four's website. I don't know exactly how long that's going on, but uh, it's totally worth it to to seek out. I don't know when it'll come to more like wide streaming, and it might be in mm-hmm. some theaters right now. But uh, it is really worth. Uh, tracking down and watching I, I just found it and I think it's like just under two hours as well so it's like not a huge commitment but just a very lovely time with uh, just a lot of great performances and it's funnier than, than I think you probably expect it to be uh, so if, if if you can get a handle on it uh, Minari really lovely time I know we had a we have had a shorter break between recording sessions, but have either of you seen anything cool? Uh yeah, I watched uh, the original producers. Oh wow, 
with uh, Gene Wilder. Uh, it's on HBO Max. It's just 90 minutes. Um, nice. It's a breeze. Uh, and I found it. I didn't find it like hysterical, but I, I did quite enjoy it. You were um, you weren't in hysterics, and you're wet. I'm uncomfortable now. It's a line from the <laughs> movie. <laughs> I, I I did. Gene Wilder steals the show. Oh sure, and yeah. Oscar nominated. It's kind of un, it's kind of unfortunate that he's not just like the main character because mm. I kind of wish he would just take the movie and run with it. Um, but I do love his character. Yeah. <laughs> he's just. Oh, he's just so weird, and, he, and he's <laughs> freaking out, and, and he is getting hysterical at everything. He's like, stop! You're making me nervous! <laughs> I cannot work in these conditions! Um, and I also like the, the I, I don't know, it's just such a weird, wacky premise. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's just, I don't know. I thought it was really, really neat. That's awesome. <laughs> Actually, I haven't, I've, I'm pretty familiar with the, the musical and the subsequent musical movie, but I haven't actually seen right. the original, so I'll need to need to get on that one. I like that Gene Wilder. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty good. And uh, yeah, like I said, ninety minutes, so it's yeah, that's awesome. I didn't realize it was that short. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's great. Pretty good, Tyler. Mm, so I don't really have anything. Yeah. Um, I have not been on my uh, on my movie watching game or quality content consuming <laughs> game recently. Um, <laughs> I have been reading a lot of the uh, the, the current X Men comics, which are pretty good. But I I would like to read more of those before forming. They're I mean they're ongoing, so I don't know mm. how they will end. And also, uh, they're incredibly dense and would not make any sense to most people who just wanted to pick up a comic book. Um, they're written by a guy named Jonathan Hickman, who if you if you see oh, his okay. name on a comic, uh, it's probably pretty good because he 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 has revamped like the Fantastic Four and the Avengers. Um, in, Did he in do Why the Last Man? No, that no. is Brian K. Vaughn. Okay. Because um, I know Hickman's who is also name. a very good writer. Yeah. Uh, Jonathan Hickman, he's done... I'm trying to think what his other big like non-Marvel stuff is. Um, he, he did a series called... Something. <laughs> uh, oh, I've read that. Yeah. Oh, jeez. Now it's going to bother me that I can't remember what that series is called. I have not read it, but it is a series I had been meaning to read. Um, and now it's going to bother me if I don't find it. East of West. Tyler. Oh, that's it. Yep, yep. Okay. East of West. Yeah, um, I know I know of that one. Tyler, I was really hoping you were going to say, you know, I'm, I'm planning on just absorbing literally every X-Men comic that has ever existed. That way I can then properly marathon all of the X-Men movies. And then I would have said, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> They're just so dense and nuanced and have so many references. Uh, and you, you just – you really have to watch all of them to fully appreciate what? Dark Phoenix. That's <laughs> all I'm saying. Like that, that – uh... You know that that scene in uh in, in X Men three the last X X three the last stand three three X's triple X the return of the last stand. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you, you know that scene where the the Juggernaut he runs through a wall and he says I'm the Juggernaut. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's it's just you know so much so much uh, content packed into that you know like so much so much to think about. Yeah, my boss explained that scene to me the other day after I told him I'd seen the movie. <laughs> He's like, "You remember that?" And I was like, "Yeah, sure." He goes, "Yeah." So what happens is, and he just he 
explained the entire scene. I was like, no, I, no, I've seen. It. Yeah, he says the he says the big word. Yeah, no, like the oh, I thought like the internet. I thought he was gonna like explain the meme to you and how that started. No, he did that too. Oh. Oh, I, needed, oh, okay. I needed a chair. <laughs> he he took you on an odyssey. Okay, he really I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. the whole thing, and I was like, "No, I I trust me. I know the film." Uh, <laughs> for a more real recommendation, that is something that I don't know if either of you have watched. Um, but I realized I could I could pull back on this. Um, so I am gonna this this was way back in the the Tyler watching archives. Um, is the HBO miniseries Chernobyl? Oh um, yeah, I gotta get there. Have you watched that, Alex? No. The, it, it's I, I think it's only five episodes. Um, easy to easy to well, <laughs> easy from a logistical standpoint. Sure. Um, <laughs> it is a very rough, dark uh, series that nonetheless is just fantastic. Um, Jared Harris is in it and amazing. Um, and it okay. it came out right before the pandemic, and I think mm. there are things to be uh gleaned or related to that sure. uh to to our current situation um and I, I won't go any farther than that but yeah it's it's about um the chernobyl meltdown uh in which basically jared harris is it, i think the it's not like you know a hundred percent historically accurate because they use jared harris and a couple of other characters to kind of represent scientists mm-hmm. working like a, a conglomerate of scientists in real life and they distill them in a, into a few characters um but uh they're trying to basically get the government to the russian government to actually like do the things that need to be done to resolve this issue um and it's it's very good i i was talking to friend of the podcast joseph uh sometimes host of the podcast joseph who uh just recently picked up hbo max and Real, er, he mentioned that he hadn't even really heard of it, and I was like, "Oh, you know what? That was one that might have slipped people by because it came out at a, a time yeah. when things were getting hectic in the world." Um, so it's it's not exactly an escape or anything. It, it might just make you sad. Um, it's really heavy, but it is it is fantastic. Isn't didn't um, I can't remember her name? The woman who who composed Joker is doesn't she do the music for that? Yes, uh, yeah, Hilder. Yeah, good good the tier or something like that. Yeah, Hilder G. <laughs> yes. Hilder G and Yuritu. Yeah. Oscar award winning, didn't she win for Joker? Yeah, she uh, did. Joker? Yeah. She won for Joker, yeah. Good honor. Which which I was fine with because mm-hmm. the, the score for that movie is really good. <laughs> Look, Tyler, does does the show deconstruct uh nuclear <laughs> meltdowns properly? No, but there's a great scene of Jared Harris dancing in a courtroom. <laughs> <laughs> You, and then he also says in a very thick Russian accent, "We live in a society." If, if you're if you're looking for nuclear deconstructions, uh, go watch <laughs> Twin Peaks: The Return. Uh, <laughs> that will be my other recommendation. Uh, and yeah. if you don't know why I'm talking, why why what that reference is, also watch Twin Peaks: The Return. Um, you won't <laughs> understand probably anything if you have no interest in it right now. It's there's no point at which you're going to be like, "Oh, I understand why I'm watching this now." <laughs> like it's not you're not going to be like. <laughs> This is this is working for me now. If you if you do not already have an interest in it, but but oddly enough, that's not a con. It, it really isn't. It it's kind also of fits not a uh, Scott con or James con. That um, you can find us online here. Come to sequels blogspot.com. You can find us on Twitter at hct sequels. Uh, you can email us at here come the sequels at gmail dot com. Uh, we're on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud. Um, 
<laughs> I almost said the moon, but I've already made that joke. And I'm very sad because I'm, I'm quite fond of it. <laughs> it could be part of the part of the the sign off. Um, yeah, next week we 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 saunter out the ocean. We're we're finished with it after next mm-hmm. week, and on to new adventures, new new brilliant skies to to explore. Uh, will we explore them quickly or in slow motion? We'll find out. On <laughs> here come the sequels, starring me, who's been Britain. I've been Tyler, and I've been Alex, and you're breaking the bank tonight. (laughs) (laughs) Don't order takeout. It's bad for you. Just make something at home. It'll be healthy. A salad. Something. No pizza. Wait, 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 wait. (laughs) Alex has created, gotten very political, (laughs) suggesting that all restaurants are bad for you. Look. I'm not saying that I myself am considering getting fast food tonight. I'm just saying everyone else, don't think about it. Good night.